Hello, I'm Tom Moan, and today I'm beginning an old and yet continuing adventure. In 1968, my family and I returned to Tulsa, where I became the general manager of KORUFM and Oral Roberts, radio announcer. At that time, from 1968 until March of 71, I had a daily program entitled Good Morning, Brother Pilgrim. And now, after 50 years, I'm resurrecting it with a new title, Good Morning, Fellow Pilgrim. And a pilgrim is a person who's on a journey, and in this case, a journey of the kingdom of God on earth as Jesus prayed. So I hope you'll join me as we look into the past, the present, and the future. This is the Good Morning, Fellow Pilgrim podcast with Tom Moan for March 27th, 2020. Good morning, fellow pilgrims. Again, what a delight to be with you. We simply invite the Holy Spirit to come and enable us to live through this time where the pandemic is going on all over the world right now. And we just are praying that we'll learn to walk by faith and trust God, that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And that we here in this city of Tulsa are not spared the pandemic. One of the first brothers that uh, passed away because of it was a dear, godly man, knew a a Pentecostal brother. So we pray and we ask God's protection, but we do not walk in panic or in fear. So may the Lord continue to bless you. The last podcast, we talked about Psalm 91 and how we are under the care of Almighty God. And that's what we want to say to one another, to our children and to our friends and brothers in the in the world and in the body of Christ. It's a time for us to live out the confession of our faith in the Lordship of Jesus. I'm going to go on now with more talk about the Nicolaitan heresy. Uh, some people have wondered why I've spent so much time on it. It's because I find it so crucial a reality in this day and time. And uh, just a sort of bring us up to date, let me go and read again from the book of the Revelation to St. John, the two churches that were plagued with the Nicolaitan heresy. And the first one was the Ephesian church, where the the apostle writes this. I'll pick it up in verse 5 and 6. Remember therefore from where you've fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, he who has an ear. And then down in the Pergamum church, he also says that to them. They, they have the problem with the teaching of Balaam and etc., And then in verse 15 it says, Thus you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And one of the things that I've written about the uh, the Nicolaitans, and when I first shared it, now way back in the 90s, and was that it means, Nico means to conquer or to control the laity. And I've spent some time in the past talking about it, And I think it's been one of the problems in the church. And one of the reasons that we may 
I underscore that word, coming to the end of a church age, an institutional age, to a true bride age of the church. And we'll get in and talk much more about that. I also have referred to you that in the past, I, though I never had the opportunity or privilege to meet Eugene Peterson, uh, I wrote him over the years, and he was so kind to send me back personal letters and response. I had told him that I, in the late 90s, I had spoken at a national conference on the Nicolaitan heresy, and ministers came up to me and were really, really upset with me. They thought, my goodness, my goodness, you can't do that. You'll destroy the church. And I was really re- uh, just kind of taken back at the response. I thought that they would see it as something helpful, that the that God did away in Jesus Christ with that two-level superiority, the clergy and the laity. And uh, in one of Eugene Peterson's letters, after I had talked to him about having been rejected at this conference, in the first letter that was written in... in uh, 2009 and 2010, he uh, writes this, and I wanted to read it to you. It's from the 26th of October, 2009. He says, Dear Tom, how refreshing and confirming to get your letter of appreciation on the laity myth. Your insight into the etymology of Nicolaitan is brilliant. I'd never seen or thought of that before, but it seems so appropriate. Thanks. The response of the clergy to your suggestion at the conference is, I think, pretty common. Even when it's not quite as out in the open as the ones who aggressively insist on holding on to their authority, it gets repeated a lot in one way or another. And I felt that so strongly. But he adds a, a, another thing that I thought was so interesting. He said, there's also a lack of enthusiasm on the part of the laity. Many of them embrace the laity myth quite as much. It gives them a free pass to just let the pastors do it. So I think that those two things are part of the reason that I've talked to you so often about the Nicolaitan heresy. I think it has plagued the church for years. I've gone back on several occasions and read from the book of Acts and telling you that early in my Christian life, after I was born again, I read about uh, the writings of E. Stanley Jones, and he talked about the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, let me just read a few verses to sort of bring you up to date. Verse 1 of Acts 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the uh, native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And then they select these people. That verse is the one that leaped out for E. Stanley Jones, and does for me now, almost a hundred years later. It says this, It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Do you hear the difference? I have this ministry of the Word, and I can't uh, set that aside to do these common things. 
we must devote ourselves to to uh, prayer and to the ministry of the word. And everybody said, that's a good idea. And then they appointed these men, and all of these men were good. But notice what happens later in that same chapter. And uh, it says in verse 7, And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of them, from what they call the synagogue of the freemen, including Cyrenians and Alexandrians and Sela, and they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. The whole point is, Stephen seems as though the anointing went upon him. Do you hear the separation? Well, that's what E. Stanley Jones said. He believes all the way down to the present day that why the Nicolaitan heresy was so despised by God. And we see it in the church today. We see whole churches gathered around pastors and that we don't realize that that Nicolaitan heresy, I'm going to repeat it again until it finally finds root with us all, that Nicolaitan heresy, the separation of clergy and lay, was done away with at Calvary. And we've got to see that really and truly. Well, as I've been teaching on this for many years now, I have friends of mine that have kind of gone along with me. And recently, I got an email from a couple of old friends. And uh, the people that I've known for over 40 years. And uh, the uh, the uh, suggestion was, you know, Tom, you ought to go back and read the introduction in the Old Testament to Nehemiah as regards the Nicolaitan heresy. Well, this is an old friend of ours, Tom and Sandy. I'll not tell you their last names. And I went back and I was absolutely blown away. I want to read the couple of paragraphs that are the introduction to the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to read it out of the message. Here it is. Separating life into distinct categories of sacred and secular damages sometimes irreparably any attempt to live a whole and satisfying life, a coherent life with meaning and purpose, a life lived to the glory of God. Nevertheless, the practice is widespread. But where did all these people come up with the habit of separating themselves and the world around them into these two camps? It surely wasn't from the Bible. The Holy Scriptures from beginning to end strenuously resist such a separation. The damage to life is most obvious when the separation is applied to daily work. It is common for us to refer to the work of pastors, priests, and missionaries as sacred, and that of lawyers, farmers, and engineers as secular. It is also wrong, wrong by its very nature, or excuse me, work by its very nature is holy. The biblical story is dominated by people who have jobs in gardening, 
shepherding, the military, politics, carpentry, tent making, homemaking, fishing, and more. Nehemiah is one of these. He started out as a government worker in the employ of a foreign king. Then he became, and this is the work he tells us of in these memoirs, a building contractor called in to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. His co-worker Ezra was a scholar and teacher working with the scriptures. Nehemiah worked with stones and mortar. The stories of the two men are interwoven in a seamless fabric of vocational holiness. Neither job was more or less important or holy than the other. Nehemiah needed Ezra. Ezra needed Nehemiah. God's people need the work of both of them, and we still do. Is that a powerful introduction to the book of Nehemiah? I want to just tell you, read one other thing as we move on. I want to go back to the first couple of sentences where it says, separating life into distinct categories of secular and sacred damages sometimes irreparably any attempt to live a whole and satisfying life. That's what really got to me because I thought, God did away with that two-tiered. We have to work together. The clergy and lay are not classes of first class. They're the ones with the authority. And second class, they're the ones that got to pay for it and go do it. No, each of them has a job that is holy. He says this, work, work by its very nature is holy. The biblical story is dominated by people who have jobs in gardening, shepherding, the military, politics, carpentry, tent making, etc. Nehemiah is one of these. In the book that I wrote, Good Morning Brother Pilgrim, I tell the story of a brother that I met before I became a Christian who was a digger of wells and a digger of post holes. And uh, I forget what the the other thing is they used to call it. Do you remember what the name of it was? Uh, Manholes. Manholes. Thanks, Matt. And he would dig these manholes, and his supervisor would always want him to dig them because the others who were in the same union would just do such a sloppy job. But this brother, he would do it. It looked like the, uh, the edifice of the front of a house. It was so beautifully done. And I can remember asking him once, why does he take such time to do such work? And he says, because I build manholes for Jesus. That has stuck with me over the years. So many times I've gone back to that. Now, when I read this introduction to Nehemiah, and I remember my, my brother who dug the post holes or manholes in Rockford, Illinois, as a testimony to his relationship with Jesus, I see what Nehemiah and the introduction that he wrote about was so important. I see also why E. Stanley Jones was saying, don't you see how it's polluted the church down through the centuries? We've got the clergy... And, and just like in Acts 6, they said, we've got to do our prayer into the ministry of the Word. But in the book of the, of the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, 
Isn't it strange that in that 20-some chapter, let me just read it to you, he says something very, very important that we need to remember again and again. He said, this is from the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Don't be like the Pharisees. And he talks about them. And then he says, verse 8, don't even be called rabbi. For one is your teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So the leader is the one who lays down his life. Now, as I continue to talk about the Nicolaitan heresy, I want this to provide a background because in the next podcast I'm going to talk more about it and why it's so important for us to understand that the church has got to become like the bride of Christ where every member has an anointing and a calling from God and no calling is secular and no calling is sacred. It's all sacred when you belong to Jesus. There is no first and second class Christianity. And if we could see the church purged of that, and we're beginning to see it now all over the world, and I have friends of mine all over the world that are saying, Tom, you can't believe people are leaving organized religion in droves and going to households and homes and picnic places and cemeteries like the first century church to fellowship. And people are pastors and prophets, but they're servants Every one of them is a servant. Father, I just ask as we continue to talk more about the Nicolaitan heresy, that your Holy Spirit will come and enable us to just simply receive our calling as a man, as a woman of God, and to humble ourselves and become a servant of one another. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This podcast is available for free download in iTunes and at moanministriesbookstore.com. Sarah Rahm's album, Days of Rain, is available on iTunes and most streaming platforms.